Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for a revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. So, capitalism sucks. Uh, it's almost boring to say. Uh, at the street fest last week at TMU and at the club's day yesterday, uh, the general sentiment from a lot of people, probably all of you here, I imagine, <laughs> but like I'd say hundreds of other students, more thousands, was duh. Like, yes, we know, right? Um, poverty, in rising inequality, uh, attacks on basic democratic freedoms and rights, war, uh, environmental degradation. Um, the list goes on and on. All these things are kind of seem to be bearing down on the world all at once. And millions and millions of people, billions of people, are aware of the problem and are starting to become aware that it's not a minor problem, that it's not a problem of this or that individual, right? That there's something bigger at work here. That, because this is not a bunch of unconnected things. Um, this is all, and I am a Marxist, I would say from a Marxist point of view, this is all representative of the crisis of capitalism. They're all different expressions of the crisis of capitalism. Um, like I said, it's almost, I think a lot of people, millions of people have come, to, have come to that realization in one way or another, that there's something wrong with capitalism. Um, and also, many, millions of people have come to the realization that things are not getting better, they're actually getting worse. And I think there's no surprise Am I the oldest person here? I think I am the oldest person here, maybe. Um, that's not surprising, because if you're young, uh, we're the first generation that's good. We're going to live worse than our parents lived. And that's the first in, I don't even know, hundred, couple hundred years. That's a, <laughs> so capitalism, you know, what you hear from a lot of right-wingers is capitalism is amazing. It's raised living conditions and whatnot. And it certainly did historically when you look at the set, but that's actually not the case anymore. And that's a very fundamental fact. So everyone knows that capitalism sucks, but for those of you who maybe are questioning, you're not sure if capitalism sucks or not, it's not, you're not sure what, if capitalism is in crisis, I'll go through a few things to jog your memory. Start with COVID-19, right? This is a global pandemic. It started in 2020, or late 2019, I suppose but really 2020 in Canada. Um, and I think this is very clear, the problem of capitalism when you saw the management or the mismanagement of dealing with the pandemic. Um, there's massive death tolls in largely private uh, long-term care homes. As we know, most, most of the people that died were old people. Um, under, and this actually comes from an underfunding of the healthcare system. Decades, decades of cuts to the public healthcare system uh, led to the healthcare system being completely overwhelmed and somewhat dilapidated, right? Crisis in the healthcare system. And governments actually did next to nothing. It's actually not true. They did something. The first thing they did was handed hundreds of billions of dollars to private companies to keep them afloat. Did they do that for the healthcare system? Seems strange. You have a, you have a pandemic. Wouldn't you go and, and invest money and do something for the healthcare system? Nope, that's not what happened. Another thing, competition of the global capitalist powers over vaccines. So they wouldn't release the intellectual property rights over the vaccines. 
So what happened is, actually this is why you had Omicron. I think many of you probably know that, that this came from South Africa. They couldn't get enough vaccines. Actually, the whole problem was a lot of the vaccines were actually technically produced in India, but India couldn't actually get vaccines because they were monopolized by rich countries like, like Canada, who pr purchased way more vaccines than we even needed. Um, but yeah, there was this uh, uh, global competition uh, uh, over, uh, over the vaccines. And really, at every step of the pandemic, you saw that the ruling class, the capitalists, and their governments, which they control, even Justin Trudeau, I don't care what he says, <laughs> it's very obvious when you look at what his policies actually do, that their decisions were made primarily for profit. Um, there was a thing called the corporate wage subsidy. Um, normally, this would be bizarre. The government paid the wages of private companies. They paid the wages of the employees. This is a corporate bailout in all but name. Um, and 45,000 people died in Canada from COVID-19. Up till now, there's more, there's more coming in. The cases are going up, and millions worldwide. Um, and in 2020, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, it wasn't only a health pandemic. You also, this also triggered a global economic collapse, right? Um, and this, well, I, I would argue COVID wasn't the cause of the pandemic because there was already massive economic problems prior to this. We never actually recovered from the 2008-2009 crisis, if you, if you remember that. Um, uh, you had what was known as the Great Recession. <laughs> you had over a decade of basically stagnation of 1%, maybe 2%, if you're lucky. Look, this is uh, anemic growth rates, if you even want to call it that, largely actually propelled by speculation on the stock market, which is not actual investment in productive wealth, um, which I think tells you a lot about the health or lack thereof of the capitalist system. So when 2020 hit and, and COVID-19 hit, you had, I think statistically, the biggest economic collapse uh, outside of wartime in the history of the capitalist system, as far as I am aware. Um, and what did they do? You know, you hear these right-wing people say, oh, you got to, it's a state. You got to get the state out of the economy. That's the problem, right? You can't fund healthcare. You can't fund, who's going to pay for it? Where are you going to get the money to fund education? Um, well, you know, tuition fees are going up. It's quite often student unions demand, lower the tuition fees or, or freeze it or whatever. And they say, oh, we can't. There's no money, right? Um, what did they do here? They all of a sudden found a hell of a lot of money. And now someone is on the hook for that money. Um, it's funny, it's not the people who got the money that are on the hook for it, but it's you and me, people like you and me that are on the hook for those hundreds of billions of dollars um, that, they did, that they used to bail out the major companies in Canada, who actually largely continued to still carry out mass layoffs. I don't know if you tried to fly anywhere recently, but you will be aware that the airlines seemingly have no employees for some reason, um, even though they all received massive bailouts like WestJet and Air Canada. Um, but these, these bailouts that they used to, uh, to uh, deal with the crisis, the collapse in 2020, um, couldn't avoid the crisis. It couldn't solve the crisis fundamentally. All that it's done is it's delayed the worst effects of the crisis of capitalism. And now, we are starting to feel them in a different way. And I think you're all probably well aware of this phenomenon called inflation. <laughs> it's where 
your money buys less. Uh, all of a sudden, all the food costs more, gas costs more, basic goods and services cost more money. Funny enough, your wages don't go up at the same time, so you're poorer. Um, inflation is the highest it's been in 40 years. Uh, it's eight, at 8.1%. Uh, again, that's only an average, actually. So basic food stuffs has gone up by 14.5%. Butter, 20%. Pasta, 21%. Like basic staples that most people eat. Gas, 35.6%. Um, and actually, that has a knock-on effect throughout the whole economy because you have to use gas to do almost anything, transport goods and services. Um, so... Yeah, this has led one quarter of Canadians saying that they had, to borrow, they had to borrow from relatives or they had to take on extra debt during the pandemic in the last couple of years. Uh, One-fifth said that they had to turn to food banks. Um, this is not a small portion of the population. You're talking millions, millions of people, right? This is capitalism. This is what it's offering us. Uh, and, you know, bourgeoisie, the capitalists, they're smart, right? They got some big brains up there that are figuring out how to deal with this problem. Um, and what are they doing? They're like, oh, geez, inflation. This is, uh, this is eating away at people's income, right? Like the amount of money that you have is not purchasing what it used to purchase. So obviously the, the government, the Bank of Canada, they're on top of this. Um, and what are, they sell, what are they saying? Well, they're raising interest rates. If you noticed, interest rates have been raised from an all-time low of 0.25% to 2.25%. Really quick, rapid increase. Um, and now this, what this has done is inflation. They're like, yes, inflation has been decreased from 8.1 to 7.6. Um, now, what the increase in the in interest rate does is it makes all the debt that you have, if you guys have debt, maybe you do. Maybe you're not paying interest yet because it's student loans, but you will. Um, but all the debt, maybe your parents play, pay or, or like uh, anyone who has a mortgage or a car loan or a line of credit or a visa, that all costs more money. Your interest rate goes up and you have to pay more. So capitalism's cutting both ways. You're getting cut from the raising cost of living through inflation and you're getting cut through the rising, rising cost of servicing the debt that you may have accumulated in the last number of years, especially during the pandemic and millions and millions of Canadians have. Um, so yeah, this is capitalism for you. Um, another way that the Bank of Canada is trying to deal with this inflationary problem is they're keeping wages low. Seems a strange way to deal with inflation because inflation is making everything cost more. You'd think it would be let's raise wages so people can actually afford things. No. The governor of the Bank of Canada, Tiff Macklem, uh, he was speaking at a, uh, a conference with the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses, uh, which is a right-wing corporate lobbying outfit that opposes workers' rights. Um, this is the governor of the Bank of Canada. You know, he doesn't go and speak to you guys or workers and talk to them about the problems. He talks to the big, the businesses, right? Um, and he says, inflation is here. I know everyone's feeling it. Don't raise wages. He said, don't raise wages. And his argument is that's going to make inflation worse, right? Um, what you've had, inflation is, like I said, has been 8.1%. 8, 8 uh, wages at the same period of time, the last couple of years, have only risen 3.1%. So, as I said, this is workers have essentially taken a 5% cut in real wages. And here you have the capitalists, their, their strategists, arguing to not do much about it. 
Not, not uh, especially, don't do anything that's going to help working class people, actually. Um, so yeah, as I said, Macklem says that if you raise wages, it will make inflation worse. Now, is that true? You might have that idea in your mind because you probably read it a million times in newspapers or heard it in your economics class. This is a nonsense argument. You want to look at why that's nonsense? Over the past number of decades, as prices of goods and services have gone through the roof, wages have been almost virtually stagnant, actually, on an on a average. So why have the prices raised? Because of wages? Actually has nothing to do with it. Um, so the capitalists can print money, I'll get into that in a minute, uh, and hand out hundreds of billions of dollars to their corporate friends, but then if you raise wages, that leads to inflation. Square that circle for me. Doesn't make a lot of sense. And really, what, what, what the capitalists are ignoring, uh, and it's, 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 it's not a coincidence that they're ignoring this, it's an there's an elephant in the room. Corporate profiteering. So, in the last two years, corporate profits have increased by $402 billion. That's a 109% increase from, from two years ago. Um, be nice to have that as a wage increase, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's more than doubling your wage, right? <laughs> you make 50 grand, you make 100 grand. What worker do you hear gets that? I think even in the best situation, you don't get that. Um, but yeah, this is, what, this is what corporate Canada has been getting. Um, but why? Why this increase in corporate profits? Haven't we been through this disastrous pandemic? Aren't we all in it together? Uh, I don't think we are. We have been in it together. Obviously, some have been in it a little more than others. Um, and this is really related to price gouging. And this actually helps us explain partially of why we have inflation. So what you have is capitalists have actually taken advantage of the situation uh, to jack up prices. Um, because they're like, oh, I guess there's inflation. I guess chicken costs me an arm and a leg now or whatever you're eating. Tofu if you're a vegetarian or a vegan. Um, but yeah, inflation, it's, so you have the, the corporations taking advantage of supply chain problems to jack up prices more than, more than they need to. Um, but inflation is not, like I said, that only, that only accounts for part of it. Inflation is not just about greed. Um, I think that this inflation is hardwired into the capitalist system. Uh, and it's related to what I've already spoken about a bit, how the capitalists have dealt with the crisis. Um, as I said, the economic collapse triggered by COVID-19 COVID in 2020. This is the biggest collapse since the Great Depression. Um, now, in, 20, in sorry, 1929, the Great Depression, you know what the governments did? Nothing. So what happened? The economy collapsed by 30%, and you had those massive lines of millions of people you know that sometimes right-wingers, they say, oh, we can't go back, we can't have socialism. Look at this bread line. The bread line is most of the time a picture of somewhere in America during the early 30s, <laughs> because that was the crisis of capitalism at the time. So this time around, the capitalists said, whoa, let's not do that. That's a problem. I don't know if you know your history, but in the 1930s, the Communist Party of America had 100,000 members. <laughs> it was like a dominant force, and similarly in Canada. So like, let's not do that. People might figure out capitalism not good. Uh, so the government this time around, as I said, rushed to prop up the economy, pumped hundreds of billions into the economy to keep these big corporations afloat that were deemed too big to fail. Um, and in order to do this, I already kind of mentioned it a bit, they, uh, they did something called quantitative easing. Ooh, sounds fancy, right? Quantitative easing? They, they use that word because nobody can tell what the hell it means, right? They printed money, basically. They just, they just increased the money supply, the amount of money that's in the market, right? 
what happens when you do that is that the amount of the value of each dollar decreases eventually over time. If you don't have an equal increase in productivity in the economy and you just basically insert a bunch of money, you know, you constantly hear money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> Apparently the Canadian government thinks it grows on trees and they just insert it into the economy, you have inflation eventually. We talked about it in 2020 when they started doing these policies and guess what? Inflation happened. Not surprised that we have inflation. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, as I said, corporations generally pocketed this cash and carried out mass layoffs anyway. Apparently even the ram and the rye doesn't have enough workers to maintain their operations, or so I've been told. Um, so this is chaos in capitalism in its, all its glory. And you can kind of think like, hmm, only if maybe they planned for this or they could have thought it out, you know. Uh, but capitalism is the anarchy of the market. Um, not in the anarchist sense, but in the sense that there is no plan and it's just sort of chaos, right? Um, so yes, um, leading on, or so, so as I said, actually, capitalism is a double-edged sword. You're getting cut from inflation and you're get, get, getting cut from raising interest rates. It's not even talking about how they're going to pay that debt off, which, like I said, it's not going to be, they're not going to go to Rogers and tell them to pay millions of dollars back. That's not what happens. They're going to come to you and me through wage cuts, to cuts to social services, to increase tuition fees. That's what's on the agenda next. Um, another element of the capitalist crisis, war. Um, some people might think, what does that have to do with capitalism? Well, war, and we actually have a war ongoing in Ukraine. Um, Russian, the great Russian revolutionary Vladimir Lenin said that he explained in, he had, he had as a text, we might have copies that maybe we don't hear, but we do elsewhere. Uh, he has a work called Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism, which I, he wrote explaining why World War I was happening. Um, and it, it's relevant, I think, for all war under capitalism. And he says, you know, war is, war is terrible, right? But it's also terribly profitable. Um, so, in a world ruled by capitalism, the ultimate source of wars is not to be found in this or that bad man or uh, Vladimir Putin just having a bad day or something like that. Um, even though you do have, frankly, evil capitalist rulers, if you, I don't like that term, but you do have partic particularly bad individuals ruling some countries. But the ultimate source of these wars are to be found in capitalist nations competing over spheres of influence and ultimately markets and profits. Uh, with this in mind, the war in Ukraine is essentially a contest between, and it, it's, it didn't just start this year, actually. If you, if you think the war in Ukraine started this year, I think you haven't been paying attention for the last while. It, it's been an ongoing conflict over not just Ukraine, but all the markets in Eastern Europe and other areas between what is basically U.S. imperialism and NATO and uh, Russia, which is a rising imperialist power. So Russia's carried out an invasion of Ukraine, which is entirely reactionary, but that's just one side of the coin. This is an imperialist conflict, and neither side gives a damn hell about the Ukrainian people. I'll tell you that. Actually, the entire strategy of the United States is to create a Vietnam for the Russians, and they will fight to the last drop of blood of the Ukrainian people in order to weaken Russia militarily and economically. And that is imperialism. And that's why we, have, why we have war, which is another element of the crisis of capitalism. Um, another one that is really a huge deal that I think a lot of people have become very aware of in the last number of years, climate change. So capitalism produces, this is part of the capitalist crisis, capitalism produces for profit with no regard for the environment, 
Um, this is what is known as an externality on your uh, corporate uh, balance sheet, right? Something that you don't want to have to pay for. Um, so we're all seeing the effects more clearly now than ever. And this is not in some far off land um, where you hear about, oh, the ice caps are melting or something like this. Um, British Columbia, which I suppose is quite far away from here, but Canada's stupidly big. It's still part of the same country. In 2021, you had a heat wave that killed 619 people. Actually, an entire town, Lytton, burned to the ground during that heat wave. Uh, that's just one end of the spectrum. Then, a few months later, you had floods, which cut off Vancouver, which is the busiest port in the country, uh, destroyed every road into Vancouver, and it was cut off. The port couldn't get goods <laughs> to the rest of the country. Um, that was actually related to the fires because it had burned the underbrush and it created the conditions for the flood to sweep all the, all the dirt away. Um, people in British Columbia, I have many friends out there, they say uh, it's almost biblical. First you had a plague, then you had fires, then you had a flood. <laughs> what else? Um, this summer you had the heat wave in Europe. It killed 1,000 people in the United Kingdom alone. Um, you also have, you might have seen these pictures on social media, major rivers just drying up in the U.S., all over Europe. Um, at the same time, you have one-third of Pakistan is flooded right now, and there's thousands of people killed and millions displaced. Um, what is being done about this? Everyone is quite well aware, even before these events that I told you about, there was, generally speaking, a global consensus on this, except for Donald Trump, I suppose. Um, but yeah, you, you know, what, what you might have is some capitalist leaders hold a big conference, in Paris or Copenhagen or whatever, um, leaders. Ironically, the greenhouse gas emissions that they emit for these conferences is quite significant. And then they, there's no real plan that comes out of these things most of the time. Or if it is, it's so meaningless and the targets are so meaningless that it is like a drop in a bucket, right? Um, so most of the time, there is, an, there is an agreement that comes out of these conferences because none of the capitalist powers want to uh, want to damage themselves economically. So they don't want to put any restrictions on the, pri the private companies, they're capitalist companies. The capitalists own the economy and the government is not eager to impose measures on private enterprises to combat climate change. They're not eager to impose measures on capitalists, period. That's why there's a reluctance to raise corporate taxes to fund social services and that's why there's a reluctance to put punishment for companies for polluting. Um, and that's why this has been dragging on for a long, 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 long time with very little end in sight uh, to this climate crisis. Um, so yeah, climate change is, an, in, from a Marxist point of view, from a socialist point of view, climate change is an international problem. And it requires an international solution. It requires an international planned, coordinated response. And it's a serious problem. I'm not worried about the planet. The planet's going to be fine. It just won't be inhabitable by us at a certain point. Um, and I think we all should care about that. Um, so yeah, um, but capitalism by its very nature makes an international coordinated plan impossible because each capitalist nation is fighting for its own capitalists, which is also connected to the question, like I said, of war. You have wars for the same reason. You also have no agreement and no real serious engagement to combat climate change because of this. Um, so the long-term existence of humanity takes a backseat to the profit motive. Um, 
Another issue, the crisis of capitalism, attacks on basic democratic freedoms and rights. The most blatant example that you all probably know of, the overturn of what is known as Roe v. Wade in the United States, which was basically uh, a ruling of the Supreme Court that protected the right to abortion. Uh, doesn't exist anymore, it's been overturned. So now you're having states all over the place that are gonna be overturning this. Um, many people think Canada, oh, Canada's different, right? We're not like that. Well, we're certainly headed in the same direction, if you haven't noticed. Maybe not necessarily on abortion rights yet, but on many other issues. Uh, hate crimes have increased by 72% in the past two years, targeting Muslims, Asians, LGBTQ people in particular. Um, and as the crisis deepens, we are going to see more of this. It's connected. It's all part of the same crisis. Why? Well, when you have a small group of individuals that own and control the economy and are making an extra 400 and whatever billion dollars in profits, and you have the vast majority of the society that is getting screwed through inflation and raising interest rates and wage cuts and other things, that's a dangerous situation for that small minority, is it not? It's a very dangerous situation. And you can see that people are starting to think and people are starting to wake up. You see this in the United States. You have a wave of unionization of Amazon, Starbucks, uh, basic service sector jobs that they thought, a lot of people thought you can't unionize these places because people are starting to wake up. And so well, how is this connected to the rise in hate crimes and the rise in racism and xenophobia and sexism and homophobia and other things? This is the age-old tactic of the capitalists. The capitalists have two wings. They got the right wing and they got the, I won't say left wing because that doesn't exist. They got the right wing and then you got your less right, a little less right wing, the one that kind of talks to you nicely, like Obama or Justin Trudeau. But the right right wing, like the conservatives or the Trump types, they like to play, they play the, the bad cop. And they, they're always scapegoating, right? They're scapegoating immigrants, they're scapegoating uh, women, they're scapegoating uh, homosexuals, uh, you name it, you know, whatever they can use to divide, and this is what it is, divide the working class. They don't want the workers uniting. They don't want the workers going, we're all getting screwed, let's unite together. They want them to fight. They want us to fight, actually. They want us to fight each other. If we're fighting each other, we're not gonna unite against them. And this is where a lot of these attacks come from. And that's where the reversal of Roe v. Wade, that's why that's happening. Because they want people fighting on abortion rights. They want people fighting each other on abortion rights. They don't want us uniting against them. Um, so this is the age-old tactic of the capitalists, which is divide and rule. Um, and all of these things, this is the crisis of capitalism. You're probably a bit like, Jesus Christ, this is depressing, is it not? Um, this is, this is, but there is, uh, coming out of this, there are political movements. So faced with the crisis of capitalism, you're seeing, which is really undeniable, I think everybody knows it in some way. Um, even talking to, I talked to a couple libertarians that, uh, last, this week, and they were like, they knew it, they know it's a fact. They just like, and they don't really know how to deal with it, but they, they don't agree with socialism, right? Um, but many people are seeking alternatives, right? Because they, they know that something must be done. Society is polarizing. People are upset at the status quo. Um, and and uh, you do have some examples. I'm going to start with negative examples first, <laughs> and then I'll get into the positive ones. In Canada, we got, a lot of we got a few negative examples, actually. So unfortunately, one of the examples of this in Canada is on the right. So polarization of society, radicalization of society, 
of all these layers of the population that are looking for a way out of all these economic and problems, all these different social, political, economic problems that I, I just described, it, it's not just working class people and youth that are going left. That does happen. You've got some people going right. So one example of this, this uh, you're paying attention this year, you probably saw it, the so-called freedom convoy of non-truckers mostly. Um, this was a segment of the population that gravitated. There was a segment of the population. Some of the polls put the support for the, the so-called freedom convoy uh, quite high in the general population. Um, this was a movement that was largely based on conspiracy theories, like sort of COVIDiots, right? Um, but it did tap into a real anger in society. And they did galvanize a certain layer of the population. We have to admit that, right? They shut down Ottawa. They shut down a bunch of bridges for a while. Um, and this is, I would say, the only reason that had any effect was because there was no left-wing movement. There was no genuine mobilization of working class people. Um, and you, that's what you have. If you don't have a left-wing movement, you're going to have the pendulum can swing the other way. And that anger gets captured by some, maybe some right-wing populist like Trump or something. Um, and then, and if you've been paying attention to the conservative leadership party race, you'll know that we probably have a Trump coming to Canada in the next couple of days. We should know the results of the Conservative Party leadership race in a couple of days. And by all estimates, this guy named Pierre Polyev is going to totally crush all other people in the Conservative Party leadership race. And he will be the leader of the Canadian Conservative Party. Why is this significant? Well, he is basically a Trumpite. He is a right populist. And he's appealing to the anger. He's not just a bigot. I mean, he is, right, as Trump was. Um, he's being a bit craftier on that issue. Like, he's not touting an anti-immigrant line, although he probably believes it. He just knows that won't win elections in Canada. But he's saying things like this. He says, now, now tell me what you think of this. Over half of families now say they struggle to just to feed themselves on, and more 30-year-olds live in their parents' basements because they can't afford the now typical cost of a home, 800000 He says that the system is broken, and he blames a small financial elite with access to all that printed money to buy up real estate and rent out to a growing, growing class of permanent tenants, people who may never be able to afford a home. This is the type of thing that Pierre Polyev is saying, and he's likely going to be the leader of the Conservative Party. Um, and that does not bode well for politics in Canada, right? Because he's, he's actually going to galvanize some of that anger, and he'll, he'll actually convince some people. There's a bunch of people, people he, he has these videos where some people that say that, oh, they used to vote NDP, now they're going to vote for this guy. Because you can see some of his messages sort of like appealing to poor people a bit, right? Of course, his solutions, when you read his program, are total garbage. They're right-wing libertarian solutions. Privatizations, crushing of workers' rights and freedoms, slashing government's programs. Uh, but his message, attacking Trudeau, this financial elite, the ruling class, could have an effect similar to how Trump came to power in the United States. So, as I said, you know, this, obviously, this situation, this looks rather depressing. You got a crisis of capitalism, you got all these problems, and you got these right-wingers doing these movements. So, the second half of this title of this event is, what is to be done? I'm sure you're eagerly waiting that. <laughs> um, so, because of the situation, I think many young people, there's like this phenomenon of like, doomers. There may be some doomers in the room, I don't know. Um, just a general sort of depression. It's like there can't be anything done. There's nothing to be done. Capitalism sucks. We're all screwed. There's no solution to this. Um, you know, after the Bernie Sanders movement, after BLM, after these climate strikes, nothing has changed. 
I think a lot of young people, a lot of people know this. And, and the anger is being channeled on the right now. Um, why is this happening? Well, we are Marxists, as I've said before. Um, and not the whole, the whole left isn't Marxist. The whole left isn't socialist. Actually, a very small minority of the left believes in going beyond capitalism. And unfortunately, um, due to decades of kind of moving away from socialism, the main leaders of the trade unions, the student unions, the main left-wing organizations, they believe in capitalism fundamentally. They believe in maybe changing it a little bit. This is basically an NDP-type idea, right? Um, and so, yeah, there's, you see a, a real, this is connected to a, a real unwillingness from the labor leaders to fight. Like you're seeing this, this increase in inflation and real wages are not keeping up and working class people are getting screwed. And yet, labor leaders are not organizing a fight back against this because they are attached to the capitalist system ultimately. You have high strike votes. You'll have 80, 90, even 100% of the workers will vote to go on strike. Um, but then, the, but then there's no strike, or or the strike gets sold out by the leaders. Recently, we've had the BCGEU, that's basically public sector employees in British Columbia. Uh, go, some of them went on strike. They were actually asking for what is known as COLA, cost of living allowance, to peg wages to inflation, so that your wage, if there's inflation, you don't lose out. Right? It's a good idea. That has now been sold out by the leadership. They've backed away from that idea and they're essentially accepting wage erosion. Um, there's even, and this has actually become the norm in the movement. Labor leaders have been embracing politicians like Trudeau and even politicians like Doug Ford, believe it or not. That's quite ridiculous. Um, and again, this is because leaders of the working class have generally accepted the capitalist system and accepted to try to work in, within the framework of capitalism. And so when capitalism is in crisis and it's declining and you have this massive inflation rate and this increasing interest rate and all these things that I've described, you're forced to accept what capitalism can offer, which isn't very much at all. So they're like, ah, we got a 1% wage increase in our union contract. Inflation's 8%. You're losing 7%, right? And that's what's actually happened across the board for most major unions. But we are socialists. We don't accept that. Our demands and our program do not stay within the limits of the capitalist system. We don't accept private property of the means of production. Uh, and we don't accept the market, which is chaos, as we've seen during the pandemic. Um, another issue in the movement at large, I think, of the, in the general left is this kind of idea of, and this is something that we don't agree with, like we're, we're Marxists, we're, we're trying to build a revolutionary organization. We can talk about that a bit in a minute. But, but a big idea that exists, you might have encountered this, is what I've described as like movementism. So it's basically, we need to build a movement. We need to do something, build the movement, build the movement. We get that all the time. What are you doing to build the movement? And we're like, nothing. Actually, this gets to the heart of the disagreement. Uh, not nothing, that's actually not true. We do things to build the movement, but, but it's, it's not revolutionaries that build the movement. It's not like I show up to your house at 8 a.m. tomorrow and be like, okay, Revolution, right? <laughs> and I just send a text to people or a Facebook message. We're doing it tomorrow morning, right? That's, that's not how the movement... It's not even by going out and sending flyers, like we're all doing a movement now, right? That's not, generally speaking, that's not how a movement is built. So, you, you, you know, this, is, this movementism is combined with a rejection of building a revolutionary organization, like we're trying to build. Um, so, this is generally, this movementism is like f focusing on single issue campaigns, 
or like of a specific issue, like $15 an hour, or uh, I don't know, like free healthcare that's popular in the United States, things like this, and kind of disconnects that issue from a broader struggle for socialism and against the capitalist system. And what this means in practice is abandoning the struggle for a revolutionary transformation for a new form of society, and de facto actually accepts the capitalist system. And it actually, and it doesn't challenge that labor bureaucracy that I already talked about that's been selling out the workers. And it's basically fighting for a few scraps within the system. Now, Marx says we are in favor of every reform that benefits the working class, whether it's an increase in wages, and a betterment of pensions, uh, funding for healthcare or education. Uh, we stand for free education, for example. Uh, but what, it is important how we fight for these reforms, that the goal is not the reform in and of itself, right? Um, this is quite often, because if you do that, that quite often ends up supporting capitalist governments kind of implement a half-assed version of that reform, or sometimes they even implement the whole thing. You had Kathleen Wynne implement $15, when was that, before Doug Ford? And then everyone's like, oh, okay, now what do we do? <laughs> Doug Ford got in, Did he, he took it back to 14, I'm not sure if you put it back up to 15. Anyway, it's a bit meaningless. Like, what is this haggling over a dollar? Um, but yeah, we are revolutionaries. And what does that mean? Um, it means we don't believe in tinkering with the system. We don't believe in this or that little thing. We believe that the whole system, as I've mentioned, is all of these different forms of the crisis of capitalism, it's all related to the general problem with this whole system, that we need to have a plan to do away with the whole capitalist system. Um, and that's why we are revolutionaries, and we believe that revolutions, like I said, aren't created by revolutionaries. Capitalism creates revolutions. Capitalism creates mass movements. You don't have to run around and try to build a movement. We're going to have, we've already had a lot of movements. We're going to have more than enough movements. Believe me, we're going to have more than enough movements. Um, so yeah, uh, mass movements are inherent to capitalism, especially capitalism in crisis. Um, people will inevitably rise up. We just need to look around the world. If you open your eyes a little bit, over the last number of years, even just this year, we live every month, every year, you see revolutionary movements, mass uprisings in country after country after country. As I said, we live in a revolutionary epoch. Just this year, you had a revolution in Sri Lanka overthrew the government. You might have seen some pictures on social media. The masses were chilling in the presidential swimming pool. Um, you saw a mass uprising in Libya. You had general strike in Ecuador. This is just to name a few. You can go back to the Arab Spring in Tunisia, Egypt, that swept the Arab world. You had the Occupy movement. You had the Quebec student strike in 2012. You had the mass revolutionary movement in Chile uh, just a few years ago. Um, and this is just a few examples. I could seriously list a couple hundred examples of revolutions in the past 10, 15 years to you guys. Um, this is the norm. We don't have to be going out of our way to build these things. Capitalism is creating the conditions for revolution. As I mentioned before, the in, and, and this isn't just something that happens, oh, in like, uh, you know, I mentioned Tunisia, but that's in Africa. Like, they're really poor, right? So they're going to have more, more movements. The United States. What's happening in the United States? It's the most rich, the richest, most powerful capitalist country that has ever existed on the face of the planet. Rising class struggle. Marx could not have described better what is happening in America. You have this unionization waves. As I said, there's over 200 Starbucks now unionized. Many people said you couldn't unionize these jobs. 
service sector, it's too transient, it's mostly young people, they don't care, etc., etc. False. False. Working class is the working class. The working class will find a way to organize. Um, uh, as, like I said, as Marx described, capitalism creates its own grave diggers. If you read the manifesto, we have copies of it here, I believe. We're actually starting reading groups on this. I encourage you to get involved and read the Communist Manifesto and reread it if you, if you haven't read it recently. But yeah, Marx talks about how the bourgeoisie, above all else, creates its own grave diggers. It creates the modern proletariat. The, the proletariat in the world is billions of people. It's never been this big. I believe in just in China alone, it's increased by hundreds of millions over the past couple of uh, decades. And this is... And the working class, this proletariat, under immense extreme capitalist exploitation and increasing capitalist exploitation, goes, as Marx described, from a class in itself, a simply a class that exists, that you can observe, kind of sociologically, to a class conscious that it is a class and it needs to organize together, to a class for itself. And they organize unions, political parties, and start to fight back, and working class people start to fight back as a collective and that is why we are seeing these revolutions and mass movements around the world. We live in extremely interesting times. We are not depressed. We should not be doomers. We should not be depressed. We should be enthusiastic. We should be uh, excited to live in these times. I firmly believe that everyone here is going to see at least two, I'll say two revolutions in your lifetime. <laughs> Probably more, actually. We're going to see many, many mass movements. We'll have the, I, I believe we'll have many times chances to transform society that we live in. Um, yes, so I'm going to move on here. Uh, but as I said, Marxists are inherently optimistic because, because we, ha we have a long view of history. We're not just stuck in the current moment where oh, nothing's happening, everything sucks, the right wing is doing something bad. Like, you know, we, we, are, we have a long view of history. We're looking at this as just an ephemeral situation in the bigger process of capitalist crisis. Um, and now, now, as I said, we had revolutions across the world, mass movements, class radicalization uh, in country after country. However, there hasn't really been many victories to speak of. You guys remember the, the movement against police brutality and uh, racism in the US that was sparked by the killing of George Floyd? What happened? Fucking nothing. Exactly. Very good response. Jack shit happened. <laughs> um, you guys remember these mass climate strikes? Millions and millions of young people shutting down high schools, colleges, universities. I don't know if that happened here, but I was in Montreal. It happened on every major campus there. What happened? Absolutely nothing. So it's understandable that a certain portion of the population gets a bit depressed. What can we do? So this is connected to actually something very important and why we should be optimistic. Because Revolutions and mass movements are inevitable, as I hope I have demonstrated. With capitalism in crisis, they are inevitable. But victory, success, is not inevitable. That needs to happen consciously. That it's because it can't be random. It's not like people go on demonstration and the bourgeoisie goes, ah, we give up, you win. That's not how it works. Obviously, that's not how it works. It must be done consciously. Consciously, we must fight capitalism consciously with a, with a conscious program and a study of past movements and learning those lessons. This is where Marxists come in. And this is what Marxists have always done. We believe Marxism is like the memory of the working class. 
we, we, we seek to preserve those lessons and pass them down to future movements, which is connected to what is to be done, which we believe what is to be done is to build a revolutionary organization. We don't have a mass movement or a revolution in Canada now. We will in the future, inevitably, we need to prepare for that, right? Like I said, movements come and movements go, but what is important is saving people for future struggles. Instead of running around like chickens with our head cut off, trying to build this or that movement, we should prepare ourselves for the, these inevitable mass movements. And as I said, study past revolutions, learn why certain revolutions succeeded or why certain revolutions failed, right? Take those lessons and, and bring them into the modern movements. Study Marxist theory, study how capitalism functions, how the class struggle works, uh, so that we can win. And I believe that we will win in our lifetimes. We will win. I am totally convinced of that. But it starts with us. It actually starts with small groups of people. And so we're, we basically believe that we must provide leadership to the working class. And leadership and revolutionary organization is not something that gets built overnight in the heat of a mass struggle. That is definitely something that does not happen. As I said, it needs to be prepared, and it takes years. And, it, and to be frank, it's okay if the mass movement's delayed. I think that's fine, because we have more time to prepare. Right now, across the country, there are meetings like this in campus after campus after campus with dozens and dozens of people that are commonly seeing a problem with capitalism and are looking to get organized. Uh, and that's what we are doing here. And actually, we are saving people from demoralization. Because I believe there is a wave of, as I said, a wave of demoralization amongst the youth because I've seen all these mass movements and it hasn't succeeded. We're saving people, saying don't be demoralized, join us, build the forces of Marxism, learn your revolutionary history, and prepare for the future movements which will come inevitably. Um, and this is really what Fight Back is all about. So, as Marx said, without organization, we are just raw material for exploitation. Just as an individual, you're nothing. You can't change, you can't change anything. I know some people think you can buy something and it might change something. I don't think that that's how change happens. Um, Malcolm X famously said, we are not outnumbered, we are out-organized. I think that is very true. You have to get organized today. Um, and I believe that with revolutionary organization, we can change the world, and we will change this world. And I encourage you to join us and get involved in the fight for socialism in our lifetime. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the International Marxist Tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this on our own. So if you agree with us, get involved. We can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Riposte. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at Marxist.com. The music in this episode was General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. They can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.
www.thepodcastmaker.com.